Good morning. Let's turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we'll be looking at the final stretch of the passage today. So as we come, come to a conclusion of the book, we look at a few more things that Paul gives to Timothy, some more instructions and encouragement for him. And so let's, let's pray that we can apply that to our lives today. Let's look at verse 17 of uh, chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing it for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. What does a dollar twenty-five mean to you? What does a dollar twenty-five mean to you? What could you buy with just a dollar twenty-five? You might be able to go to McDonald's and buy one item off the dollar menu. There's only a few things now on the dollar menu now. You can go to a vending machine and get one snack. You could buy a uh, pack of gum. There's only a few things that you can buy with $1.25. That means not very much to us. But $1.25 means a whole lot to 1.6 billion people who can only survive, who only live off of $1.25 per day. Some of them even live less than $1.25. These people are considered to be living in extreme poverty. They're living in extreme poverty. Each day, because of this poverty, 22,000 children die because of hunger or poverty issues. That's basically the whole population of San Leandro. San Leandro is about 24,000 people. That whole city wiped, wiped out. Next, what is... What does $10 mean to you? Could you live off of $10 per day? That would be an average of about $300 per month. And that's the average income of the working middle class in the world. It's actually between $2 to $10 per day that the people live on. Imagine how many out of those who lived in extreme poverty and the severe conditions have died because of a lack of food and also because of a lack of spiritual need, too. How many of them don't know Christ? How many of them don't know the gospel? Some of the poorest countries in the world are India and China. And those countries are very close to the gospel. There's a dying world out there who is dying of physical need and also spiritual need. The reason I bring this up is because I want to give you guys a perspective of the suffering that goes on outside of the world. 
want to give you a perspective of true poverty and get a glimpse of what is going on outside of America. When we look at America, we look at, um, we, are, we are a very wealthy nation. We are a very wealthy country. And as a whole, we have more than we need. We have more money than we know what to do with, so we pile it up in bank accounts. And we have more stuff than we know how to store in our own houses, so we get extra storage. And we pile it up and spend it on extra things for ourselves, for our wants. And I'm not trying to dismiss that. There are, there are poor people in, in the United States as well. But what I want to look at is overall, we are a very rich country. We are a very wealthy country. And we live in a world that, ha- we live in a world of urgent and physical, urgent physical and spiritual needs. We live in a world of urgent and physical spiritual needs. And the reason I bring that up is to tie that in with this passage here. When we talk about the rich, to look at it in a different light. It says in verse 17, to command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty or to trust in uncertain riches. Two weeks ago, I looked at, we looked at the desire to be rich. Two weeks ago, we studied those who, who want to be rich, who aren't content with what they have and they desire to be rich. Now we're looking at something different. These are, these are people who are rich. We're talking about people who are rich. But how do we define who's rich? How do, we, how do we say who's rich? Is it based off of how much money you make per year? You say, well, if I make X amount of dollars a year, then I'm rich. Or if I make that much and I'm love, then I'm rich. Or is it, or is it something different? Last time we talked about contentment, we looked at those who desire to be rich should actually be content with what they have. They have the basic necessities of food and clothing. And, and also shelter is included in the, in the clothing aspect. Um, anything more than that is extra. Anything more than that is excess. And after we use all of our money for the basic necessities of life, then we are rich. If we look at what we have, anything more than what covers our basic necessities, we are rich. And it's easy to rich. It's easy to, to write that off and say, "Well, I'm not as rich as the other person over there. I'm not as rich as these these people. I don't have that nice of a car or that nice of a house or these nice things." But it isn't to compare with other people. It isn't to compare with uh, your material wealth with somebody else. But if your basic needs are met, then you and you still have money left over, then you are rich. On the flip side, there might be some people here that say, well, you know, I don't have anything after I spend everything. I, I've spent everything and there's nothing left over. You know, after I've paid for my house and my three cars and my extra um, expenses here and there, I don't have anything left over. So, there, you know, I'm not rich either. Remember we talked about John Wesley who, when he, the money that came in and he, he, he lowered his standard of living so he could increase his standard of giving. So as long as your basic necessities are being met, food and clothing and shelter, we are to be what? We are to be content, to live simply. 
And remember the dangers of, being, of even desiring to be rich. There was dangers we looked at that they could fall into temptation. There was a snare they could fall into. There was harmful lust, and it also drowned men in perdition and destruction. They were those who strayed from the faith, chasing after riches. Now we're looking at the dangers of those who are rich. We're looking at that. We're not comparing ourselves to what others make, or if I make a certain dollar amount, but my basic necessities are being met. Anything left over, you are rich. In this present age, and that's the key here in this passage, is that we must continue to remind ourselves that our money and our possessions are not our own. And we also must remind ourselves that it is only good in this life. The money that we make is only good in this life. It doesn't, we can't take it with us to heaven. Treasures are temporary. And once you die, you don't have your riches anymore. But what you do with your money in this life does matter and does count for eternity. As, and we'll see the consequences of how we use our money for eternity as we go on through this passage. So the commands to the rich, the first command is not to be haughty. Not to be haughty. The first danger of being rich is to be prideful, is to be arrogant. The tendency of a rich person is to, is to think that those who, are, who have less than you, those who are poorer than you, that you, are, that you are somehow superior than them and they are inferior to you. And instead of having compassion on the poor, we look down on the poor and we look and we have an indifferent attitude. We have a state of mind that just doesn't care about them. We don't care about their needs, their, their physical needs that they have. But we aren't to think of ourselves better than others because we're reminded in Philippians 2 that it says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceits. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. It can also be easy, being, being haughty, it can also be easy to, be, um, to think that you made yourself rich, that I got here because of what I've done. And the, the, the hard work that I put into, I've, I've worked a hard job, and I started at the bottom, and I've worked my way up, and up, and God has, um, or I've, I've done this and I've moved myself up to this, or it's because of what I've done. My smarts, my business uh, skills have gotten me where I am. And that's the pride that Paul's warning about. And we've seen, we can also see something similar to that in, uh, in the children of Israel. When the Lord talked to the children of Israel before they went into the promised land, he uh, gave them a, a warning again about uh, the, the, the dangers of being haughty, the dangers of being prideful. He says, then, lest you say in your heart, if you, then you say in your heart, my power and my might and the might of my hand have gained me my wealth. It is easy to become prideful in our hearts. Uh, we aren't the ones who, is, who have made it for ourselves. We aren't the reason for our success. And the, the verse right after that says, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives us the power to get wealth. It is the Lord who gives us the power. He gives us the ability, and it is the Lord who provides us with these. It is he, he who provides us with the job that you have today, 
with the salary increase that you get tomorrow, with any of the material possessions that you possess even now. There are dangers throughout the Bible about being riches. Um, James gives us some serious warnings to the rich who are, who are proud and arrogant. He gives warnings about those who are willing to share what they have and also those who have made their money unfairly. Let's look at James 5, 1 through 6 really quick. It says, it says this, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries are com- that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eating. Your gold and your silver are corroded and their corrosions will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last, day, last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and in luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and you, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. There are many warnings in that passage that the money is temporary, that the, the, the money that you have is moth-eaten and is, is resting away. Don't store up for yourselves things on this earth. There's also, and, and by storing it up, they're not willing to share with others. Very serious warnings in the, in, the, in the Bible about money. Next is that we don't want to entrust in money. Money is not reliable. There's no guarantee with money. There's a lot of uncertainties with money. Money can be stolen. It can be lost. It can be uh, taken away uh, by taxes, stolen ATM cards. Money is... Actually, this was surprising to me as I was studying. Money is no longer backed by gold. And the money that we have in our government system is actually promises by the government politicians that this money will actually be useful. It's called fiat money. And it's with the idea that because the government says that this money, that dollar, a dollar meat is valuable, then people will use it. But what happens when that faith that the dollar is valuable goes away? Money is uncertain. And some people are afraid of that. And so what they'll do with their money is they'll buy things that have value. They'll buy uh, diamonds or they'll buy uh, houses or um, things that don't lose their value as quickly. But even then, those things corrode and those things go away. It's uncertain. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 say, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth, Cease from your consideration of it. For when you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards the heaven. Money just flies away and disappears. As soon as you get it, you lose it. And, and we, we, we've lived through examples of this. The stock market crash that happened just a few years ago. And the housing bubble that popped and many people have lost lost their houses and had to give up their houses. We can't trust in the things of this world. They are uncertain. What does God want us to trust in? He wants to trust in in the most certain thing in the world is himself. God is the most certain thing. 
Trust in him. Riches disappear and do not last. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. We must trust in the living God. We must trust in him instead of relying for the riches and for money to support us. I think the main reason that we don't give is because, the reason we don't give generously is because we're afraid to trust God. We're afraid that God won't take care of us if we give too much. And so we want that safety net that supports us and, and keeps us in a, in a protection in our minds that, that money will protect us and keep us secure. But it's not true. And we want to be in control of whatever, insert the catastrophe here that comes about us. We want to, we want to have a reserve just in case something happens. I have to go to the hospital for something. You know, any, any, I lose my job. Whatever it is that we fear. Why has God allowed us to be rich? Why has God allowed you to be rich? And I believe it's a test. It's a test on the money is given to us from God. We already learned that, that God has given us the money. Now, it is our duty to be faithful stewards of that money and to use it wisely, is to use it for uh, the Lord's purpose. Matthew 6 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is in money, if you value money, then that's where your heart will be also. If you treasure eternal things, that's where your heart will be. And God gives us, we are to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. It is the Lord who gives us all these things to enjoy. It's for our benefit. Being rich is not a sin. It is not a sin. But the Bible isn't condemning those who are rich, but it is strongly warning, warning the rich of the, um, the serious dangers of being rich and not handling their money correctly. Ecclesiastes 5.18-19 through 19 says this, Here's what I've seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him for it is his heritage. As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat, it, uh, eat of it to receive, the heritage, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. God has given us things to enjoy. He has given us things to, to enjoy on this earth. But some people take that and want to say that this is a, a, uh, a ticket for us to live luxuriously, to live a life of self-indulgence. And that is not true. But it is true that we must, that the Lord, um, the phrase means that the Lord is a source he is the source of our enjoyment and our satisfaction. He is the one who provides for us that richness. So what are we to do with our money? Now that we told what we're warned not to do, now what do we do with the money that we have? We are to do good with our money. That's what it says in verse 18. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share. 
We need to be ready to give our money. We need to be ready to share it. The temptation is to hold on to it and to, to keep it for yourself. And we want to store it away and keep it for a rainy day. But being ready to give and using, willing to share can be, liking like, uh, can be illustrated like this. The Sea of Galilee is a sea that has an inlet and water flows into it and the water in the reservoir of the sea fills up but there's also an outlet. And as, as, the, as, the, um, as the water comes in and fills the sea, uh, there's an outlet on the bottom of it and the water flows out as well. Water comes in and comes out and there's life in that sea. And just below the Dead Sea, just below the Sea of Galilee is the Dead Sea and the, the water that flows into there. And there's an abundance of riches. There's abundance of, uh, of minerals and, and different things, but... Since there are no outlets, the sea accumulates more and more and is full of salt, and the conditions are so harsh that there is no life in there. There can be no fish that support. That can, the fish cannot live in there because of the harsh conditions. And this can be like an illustration of our giving. We can either be like the Sea of Galilee, which as money comes in, we let it flow out as well just as easily. And there is life and there is enjoyment and there is satisfaction and deep joy from doing that. Or it can be like the Dead Sea, which we let the, everything just flow in and it accumulates and accumulates and it is full of, um, there is no life, there is no, no satisfaction. We are taught throughout the Bible that we should give certain ways and we can't cover all of it. There is so much the Bible talks about, about giving about money, um, but we should give generously. We should give generously. We should give sacrificially. There are three categories when it comes to giving, and it's similar to the illustration of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Today, there are people here who do not give at all. Money comes in, but it never flows out. I don't know who you are, but you do. On the other side, there are people here who give sacrificially. They give more than they can give. They, they give more than they, they should. They give out of their... Um, uh, there, are, there are those who give out of their poverty. They freely give and they willingly give. They willingly give. And they're like the Sea of Galilee who let... As money comes in, they let it flow out freely. They give sacrificially and generously. But there's a third category where... We let money just trickle out. And whenever we feel guilty, we just give God a token of thanks. And we just give a, a small pittance of, here you go, God. But we don't give sacrificially. We don't give until it hurts. And we just do it occasionally just so our conscience is eased for a moment. But we never give where it adjusts our lifestyle. But there is richness in giving things away. There is richness. Being willing to share. What, other thing, what things do you have that you can share with others? Has God given you a house, a nice house, or any house that you can share and show hospitality like we've seen um, is, is a command and is a, is, a, um, is a good thing for people to do? Showing hospitality and love for strangers. Do we have a car that we can use for the work of the Lord 
to transport people. And there are many people here who do that. They use and go out of their way to use their money for gas to drive people here and there to get them to church, to get them to different events. How can we use and be willing to share what we have? And God says that by doing this, we'll store, um, by doing this, they will store up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, which is heaven, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Many people want to take their money and invest it. They want to invest it in retirement. They want their retirement to be good. Or they want to invest in stocks or, or bonds or their bank accounts and let the interest accumulate. Or the housing market and hoping that the price of housing rises so that when they bought it at a low price, they gain a lot of money. And all these promise a return on investment, but these things are not certain. You know that, they're not certain. Even if you do earn an interest, you may earn the interest, you may get those things, you may uh, make money off of doing that. But again, you can't take that to heaven. There is a better investment than that. There's a far better investment. Do you know what it is? Give it away. Give your money away. Invest your money by giving it away to the work of the Lord. Share it with others. Give it generously, cheerfully, happily, sacrificially, and you'll have the best return on your investment. You'll, you'll, I, I bet you'll never hear this in Forbes magazine or CNN news. Think about this. What happens if you were to die today? What happens if you were to die today? What if you were to die in a car accident today? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know where you're going, you're going to heaven. But are you ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ready to, to see, meet him face to face? To meet your Savior who has died for your sins? And to look on him and look at the nails in his hands and the pierced side and his pierced feet and the Lord to say to you, Luke, what have you done with the money that I've given you? Are you going to be there in, sh in shame looking at the Lord who has died for your sins and say, I haven't done nothing with what you've given me? We must be a good steward of the money that God has given us. And we want to hear from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. And if we were to die today, where does our money go? If we, if we invest our money now in the work of the Lord to help those who are in physical need and spiritual need, as we looked earlier, that's the best investment because you're laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. You're laying up for yourself treasures um, not on this earth, but in heaven. And that's what Jesus commands in Matthew 6, right? Do not lay it for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay it for yourself treasures on in heaven. And you will be storing up for yourself a good foundation for the time that is to come. You know, some people might say, well, you've you got to be careful. You know, you can't, you can't give too much. You can't, you can't give, you know, what if you go to the extreme and you, uh, you give, 
you know, you start giving it all away and then you're just neglecting your, your family and you're neglecting all your necessities. I don't think we're actually going to ever reach that point. I don't think we're in danger of doing that. And I think if we do come to that point, then we should address that at that point. But I don't think we're in danger of doing that. We shouldn't be too concerned. In fact, Matthew 6 actually talks about that. Because the, the idea there in Matthew 6 is that we are to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, which means give yourself sacrificially to the work of the Lord. And then what does he say next in the next passage? He says, what happens if I give too much money? You know, what if I give all and I don't have food and I don't have clothing? The Lord says, do not worry about those things. Do not worry about the, uh, the needs. Do not worry about food and do not worry about clothing. If God so clothes the grass of this field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? We are to trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. You know, you never, you, I don't think you'll ever hear the Lord say, you know, Luke, you gave too much. You should have held back more. You should have kept more for yourself. The Lord never called someone a fool for giving too much and keeping too little, but he did call someone a fool for keeping too much and giving too little. You remember that story, the parable of the, the rich man who had a plentiful, bountiful crop. And he said, what should I do with it? Since I have no room to store my crops, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have made up, laid up for yourself many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, tonight, this night your soul will be required of you. Then, whose will those things be which you have provided? So it is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Are you rich towards God? What we do with our money now matters for eternity. Holding on for our money now means that we lose two times. It means we lose the money today and we lose the the, the um, the opportunity to have riches and treasures in heaven. We must lay hold on eternal life, as it says next. We must have an eternal perspective, not an earthly perspective. It means we must grasp the reality of eternal life. We must grasp the reality by living in light of eternity, by living with perspective of eternity and not of this present age. If we do, then we'll have a different perspective on our money, on earth. We will be thinking about the lost that don't know Christ and seeing as much as possible to see every soul saved. We want to look at investing our money for the work of the Lord. And by doing that, when we see soul saves, then that is what we can do. We can t- how can I use my money to see people saved? I can't take my money with me but I can take brothers and sisters in Christ and see them in heaven with me. Now we come to the final exhortation of Timothy, to Timothy. And as we look at this final exhortation, this is applicable to all of us today. 
Let's read it one more time. He says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Once again, Paul addresses Timothy, addresses Timothy um, about false teachers. And he addresses him personally again. There's, a, there's that personal aspect to this letter that we've seen. Oh, son Timothy. And there's also a sense of the seriousness in these last words. Guard what was committed to your trust. Paul is, Paul is appealing to Timothy to guard what he was entrusted with. What was he entrusted with? He was entrusted with well, the whole message in this, in, this, in this book, in this letter to him, but also the gospel message, the truth. He was entrusted with the truth and guarding the truth. And he must guard it from the truth because there are so many people, as we've seen throughout the book, that are trying to pervert the truth and distort it and change it and corrupt it by lies. There's an, um, you guys have heard of an armored truck. An armored truck is used to transport valuables. And it can, um, you usually takes it from one place to the other. And usually banks will use it to, to transfer a lot of funds um, to, um, to move it safely. And it, and it protects it from being robbed from other people. Uh, other people from robbing it. The trucks are usually protected by bulletproof or bullet resistant glass and they're fortified in the inside with a shell that can at least uh, stop some handgun bullets and shotguns. And usually there are, um, there are guards that are armed and ready to, um, and are on, on the lookout for anybody that is going to try to uh, break in and steal what is inside of it. And they, they put this protection on it because they put a deposit in this truck, and that deposit must be protected. It is highly valuable. And they do go through all these, all these security measures to keep it protected. They must guard what is inside of that truck. In the same way, the gospel is a, is a, is a deposit that Timothy must guard. He must guard the measures from any tamperings, any additions, any subtractions. He's been entrusted with the gospel message and he must protect it with his life. And the, 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 the message of salvation is even higher value than any money. It must be kept intact from any tamperings. This is because the souls of men and women are at stake. If the message is tampered, then the value is completely lost. So he must avoid, how can he do that? He must avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. There are a lot of people who have pointless and endless discussions that lead to nowhere. And Timothy is told to avoid those things, don't even get involved in those anymore. Um, and there are, there are those, uh, the Gnostics during that time, they love to boast that they had some superior knowledge and that you could, uh, uh, you could arrive at that, that superior knowledge and be um, even to a, held to a higher standard than, than most of the um, 
uh, you know, your, most of your fellow believers, you'd, you'd, be, um, you'd be more superior than them. And you could heighten your relationship, but they love to advertise that there is something new. There's a, there's, a easy, there's a nice principle that Bill McDonald used to use. He said, if it's new, it isn't true. And if it's true, it isn't new. The sad truth is that the false teachers have been around long enough and have been spreading their lies long enough that some have departed and have been deceived by this and have strayed from the faith. So we must be constantly on the lookout and guarding, just like those armed guards guard the treasure inside, we must be constantly guarding the false, from false teaching in our own lives and also in the lives of other believers. Paul finally ends the letter with a um, exhortation, grace be with you. In what seems like a monumental task for Timothy to accomplish, if you look at the whole book, Paul ends with this encouragement, grace be with you. It is only by God's grace that Timothy can do what is being asked of him. To finish the work that is before him, to defend the gospel and to defend it from attacks and all of these other things. It is only by God's grace. And it's interesting to note that the you is actually plural. So you could actually say, grace be with you all. So it's to the whole church. It's to the whole body of believers. Now we have been given a deposit and that we have been entrusted with. We've been given the gospel message, the truth of God's word, God's word. We've been given spiritual gifts, and we've been given financial resources. And we've been entrusted with all these things, and we must be faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ to use these things with an eternal perspective, to lay hold on eternal life. We must decide to use them, to use our resources now else we are wasting our, ta- our time and our life doing nothing with them. There was a late night comedian who, uh, who had a love for money, a great love for money, and he would often make jokes about the love that he had for the money, and he did a skit about his love for money, and he was going around, walking, walking along the side of the street, and a, a robber came up to him and pointed a gun right in his face and said, give me your money, or your life. And the man paused and he didn't give an answer. And the, the, the robber was impatient and said, well, what is it? He says, hold on, I'm thinking about it. He loved money too much and he didn't want to give it up. We must decide what we're going to do with our money and what we're going to do with what God has entrusted with us today. Let's pray for God's help to do that this week. Heavenly Father, we look at your word and we thank you for the, uh, the serious warnings, Lord, and we want to take them to heart. We want to look at our own hearts and our own um, lives, Lord, and, and how we can use what you've given us, Lord, for your glory, to, be, to invest it in the lives of others, to invest it in eternity. Lord, where there is urgent physical and urgent spiritual needs, how can we use our funds to further your work, Lord? 
Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom and give us the heart to have compassion on those who don't have uh, this, what we have, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would also help us to guard from false teaching and to, to protect what you have committed to our trust, Lord, that we would proclaim the gospel and protect it from any distortions, Lord. We pray that you would uh, give us the strength and by God's grace, Lord, that we would be able to do and follow your word. Lord, we pray that we would do this this week. In Jesus' name, amen.